Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. One of the challenges of traveling is managing your money. If you're tired of getting crushed by bank fees and exchange rates, you need to check out wise.com. I have been a customer for over 10 years. This is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. It's been essential for me first as a traveler, then later as a digital nomad and an expat living abroad, running a business from around the world. You get one account, which allows you to send, spend, and convert money internationally, all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. You can join 16 million customers, learn how the Wise account can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. If you've heard this podcast before, you may already know that I spent many years working on the road as a touring professional managing events all over the country, which led to me traveling all over the world. This is the thing that really kickstarted my travels. I'm super passionate about events. But what you might not know is one of my favorite skills that events taught me. And I'll share a little story about that in just a moment. And we are talking about events today. That's why I'm bringing this up. And I think this is maybe one of the most underrated yet viable location-independent business options, which may sound weird because events are one of the most location-dependent things I can think of. When you're at an event, you have to be at an event at a certain time at a certain place. But I believe that events, and that's a general term, it's a broad term, I know, but events in general are more important than ever to be a part of in some way, shape, or form, whether you're the organizer or the attendee. And I'll share why I think that in this show. And you're also going to eavesdrop on a conversation I have with my buddy, Dan. He's the host of the events podcast. And this guy runs events all over the world. This is his core business. And he's also a traveler. So you're going to hear his story and how that all happened for him and so much more. It's all happening next right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thank you for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for hanging out. Come here. I'm giving you a big bear hug. Let's get a group hug here with the caravan. Ah, there you go. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for letting me bring a little travel into your ears today as well. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. I'm recording this in Florida, and I left Norway about a week ago. No, sorry, two weeks ago now. And man, it is nice to be in some warm weather. I'm sitting here by a fire, though. It's a little chilly at night. I'm at my dad's place here in Fort Myers, and he's got one of these fire gas fireplace things. So I just I want to cozy up with you. I want you to know that we're hanging by the fire together. My friend, I wish you were with us at the beach today. It was a gorgeous day, and we went out 
past Sanibel Island to this small little beach, beautiful white sands, not many waves, but that was kind of a good thing. It was just chill. I actually went swimming. It was a little chilly, but it was so nice to just spend time at the beach. Saw some people on cruiser bikes. They had all these local little beach spots that we passed along the way. And this beach area is the shell capital of the world, they call it. And there were so many shells on the beach. I'd never seen so many beautiful seashells on one beach before, just collected everywhere, just mountains of shells intact too, not just broken shells. And there were even parts of the road leading up to the beach that were made of just shells. And apparently the Indians used to use shells to to make some of the roads, something my dad told me today. It was just uh, beautiful to be outside. And I am, I got to say, I am happy to be escaping the Norwegian winter (laughs) where I live in Norway. It is cold right now where I grew up outside of Philadelphia, where uh, my mom is and my sister and some of my other family. It's cold, but my dad started spending, my dad and my stepmom started spending uh, winters down here recently. I said, well, you know what? Hey, we're going to Florida. We're going to Florida, not a bad place to go. So anyway, uh, happy you could join me here. I'm so excited for this podcast because, like I said at the top of the show, this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Events. Events are what started it all for me. And by the way, if you want to hear the story behind how I started working in events and traveling around and what that led to and how that fits in with my entrepreneurial journey, starting businesses and working as a digital nomad and all that sort of stuff, check out the events podcast hosted by my buddy Dan, who is the guest on today's show. He's an event expert. He runs events all over the world. And we got to jamming on all things event related because we, we're both geeky about them. And I mentioned at the top of the show why I think events are so important, maybe more important than ever. And the reason that is, is because, well, you know, when it comes to online, social media, the internet, we all feel connected, but we're more disconnected than ever in some ways, right? It gets kind of depressing. I don't know if it's just me, uh, and I, I'm not going to go on this rant for too long, but lately, I got to tell you, it's been just kind of this, I'm having this soul-searching moment where I'm trying to figure out, okay, how much time do I want to spend online? Because it's this necessary evil when it comes to these location-independent businesses. Well, a lot of it's online, so you can take your laptop, you can work from anywhere, you got an internet connection, such a beautiful thing, and you get all of that freedom But I guess the downside to that is you have to spend a lot of time online and on your computer, and that burns you out sometimes. And events are sort of the antithesis of that because you're in person, you're meeting people, you're connecting, you're having, you know, real life discussions. And that's what I did for so many years that when I transitioned to working online, it was kind of a it it took a while. It was really weird at first, and I had a really hard time just sitting down in front of the computer and doing work because I was used to just interacting with people all the time and being at these live events that I was managing. And whether you're going to local meetups or you're organizing events yourself or you're working at events or you're just an attendee or whatever, it doesn't matter. You know when you show up at a place and there's a group of people, there's something special that happens. And maybe not all the time, but there's just something magical with just having human connections. We're social animals. And being online takes the social element away and that can be a challenge. So part of the exciting thing about this podcast is just hearing from somebody who's 
designed a business around connecting people and live events, and they're still doing it as a location-independent entrepreneur, and they still have that freedom and flexibility. And I get to learn from that, and you get to learn from that today as you listen in on our conversation. So I don't want to rant on this too much because I could talk about events for hours probably before the interview. So let's slip and slide into the interview in just a moment. And then on the other side, I'm going to share one of my favorite skills that events taught me working events and something I didn't really think of myself as being able to do before I did it in a variety of Uh, weird circumstances. So I'll share that on the other side, plus a shout out to somebody in the community. Before the interview, I just want to say a quick thank you to Pimsleur for supporting today's show. Pimsleur is the best way to learn a foreign language, or if you're already learning a language, to, to just practice and to get better at it and improve and do it on the go because they're all audio-based courses. And then when you get the app, you have a little bit of reading and and you can do some other things that reinforce that. But primarily, you can learn through audio. And if you listen to podcasts, you already know how awesome it is to be able to learn on the go. If you go to zerototravel.com slash easy, that'll redirect you to a page where you can sign up for a free seven-day trial for their monthly subscription service. So think of it like... Netflix, where you can get all of the movies and the shows that you want, but for language learning, you can just pick a language and you can get all of the lessons in that language for one low monthly price. It's absolutely incredible. Blows away uh, any other offers out there. And not only that, it's just a great system. I started uh, using the Pimsleur courses when I first came to Norway, when I first moved to Norway. And when you listen and learn and speak right away. It just gets you right in the mix and you get confidence and you're able to connect with locals and have better travel experiences when it's all said and done. If this is on your bucket list, it's still pretty fresh in the new year and you've been putting it off, give this a try. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy. Just check out one of the lessons and tell me what you think. And if you do end up getting that monthly uh, subscription service, you'll also be supporting this show. And I thank you. And I'm so proud to have them as a sponsor because this is a service I've personally used in the past and paid for. And now I'm really excited to partner with them. So thanks to Pimsler for supporting today's show. And thank you, my friend, for being here. Now, without further ado, let's get into the interview and I'll see you on the other side. I started writing an introduction for my guest today, Dan, who we're about to talk to in a second, but there was too much to include, so I figure we'll just hear from the man himself. I will give you the short of it. He's created and sold two businesses. He currently runs a large location independent events business over at appsevents.com. He's got a global distributed team and he's now co-founded a new SAAS product, which is really exciting. And we're going to learn more about that today, what it's like to run a global team, travel. We're going to get into the whole thing. I'm just going to bring him on right now. Dan Taylor, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Great. Thank you very much. It's a, it's a real pleasure to be on. I, I love listening to your podcast. So thanks a lot. Thank you, man. Yeah, I appreciate you reaching out. And seriously, I was starting to write this and it, it was ending up being a couple paragraphs. I'm like, this is insane. We're just going to bring Dan on and have him chat. So that's the, be- that's the best. Just a, yeah. Just <laughs> right. A chat. Well, you're in Prague. You're based there, correct? Exactly. Yeah. I've been based here for 14 years now. So quite a while. Although I've probably spent 
close to half of that not here, although much more now we've got a young child. But but yeah, I've, I've been based here for 14 years, but I'm from England. Okay, I have a question. Do they still change the tram numbers after a certain time of night? Yeah, they do. Well remembered. Yeah, they have the night trams, and the night trams always start over five, like 55, 54 generally. Um, so yeah, they do. But the great thing is the trams run all night, so as long as you plan it, you can still get a tram home anytime. Okay, because when I went to Prague, I was on my solo European backpacking trip, 24 years old. Didn't have a clue that they changed the numbers. And it was one of those crazy stories. This is like, there was no Google Maps then. I didn't have a smartphone or anything. And I was staying outside of town in a hostel. I ended up jumping different buses, trying to figure it out, got separated from my crew. Uh, Literally, I started getting home after a night of carousing. We'll put it like that. (laughs) At about eight in the morning, I think they finally brought the number, whatever number tram I took, I finally saw, there it is. And there were people going to work and I just looked like this homeless guy in the street. So <laughs> the, la- the last tram with the regular numbers leave at midnight, anything after midnight, tram, that's when the numbers change. So yeah, you are right. <laughs> Good but to it's, know. Um, public transport is amazing. Here. People don't, people don't believe me, but it, I pay, I get an annual pass and it, I think it costs about $150 for the, for one year for everything, tram, metro, buses, all the way to the airport, uh, $150 a year. I mean, you spend more than that in a, a month in London. Right. Well, how did you end up there, of all places? I had a job. I, I worked for Deloitte Consulting, and I was in London, and um, an opportunity came up to come out to Prague. You know, They offered me the same money, basically, as, as I was getting in London, and back then it was it was cheap. So I spent a year, um, and then, then I got sent to Holland and did some freelancing, but I always missed it, and I was always looking for a chance to come back. And then when I started my first business, uh, I had a good friend of mine uh, still living in Prague who I was friends with from the first time. So I came back. So, you know, originally I had a job, came here um, with Deloitte Consulting originally. Okay, so when you came back to Prague, that was was that a decision because, hey, I'm going to start this business. I'm going to pick a city and just live in it. And this is one I enjoyed. I mean, I, I guess we got to get a little bit of the business chronology. Yeah, it, it's interesting. So actually, funnily enough, I just, I, I got asked to give a talk last night at something called the Founder Institute at a meeting in Prague. And it, the topic was how to transition from employee to entrepreneur. So I actually told this story last night. And and, and I did like, I did an in-between stage where I was a, I was an IT consultant. I worked for Deloitte. I was a specialist in a system called SAP, which you probably know, a big corporate system. Um, and what I did was I figured out I could go as a, I could be a contractor. I could get paid more. Um, and most importantly, I could travel, you know, I could, first of all, I was taking contracts in different countries. I was, I worked in, in Silicon Valley and Caribbean in, in Asia, all across Europe, you know, doing three to six months, but also I could make more money, you know, and a lot of people don't want to be a contractor because of the uncertainty, because, you know, you're taking three month contracts, six month contract, but I loved it. You know, I'd literally finished the contracts and I'd go hang out in Ecuador or Thailand or, or, or somewhere for three months and, and check the internet for the next one. So, so I was doing that. Um, but, but I really wanted to do a real business. Uh, I, I had it in my mind, you know, that contracting is a good kind of in between stage, but I wanted to, to do a real business. And I had a good friend who'd, who'd left his job and we were just kind of brainstorming possibilities and Czech Republic had joined the EU in 2004. So we were like, why don't we go and start a recruitment agency? There's lots of Czech people who want to work uh, in England, you know, and, and we could, we both know IT really well. We could recruit IT people and do that. 
So, so that's what we did. That was kind of the reason I came back to Prague to start this IT consulting and recruitment agency. Funnily enough, it turns out Czech people didn't want to work in England. It was a completely <laughs> false premise. Was it just um, an excuse for you to go back and live in Prague it was, again? Yeah, it was an excuse. But the business, I mean, the business is, is still going. Mike's still a great friend. I, I sold my share. But basically, we, we transitioned a little bit and, and we opened a Polish office because Polish people really want to go work in England. So we were hiring Polish people for England. And then just the Czech market took off. You know, we started hiring a lot of uh, British and American companies were moving here, uh, setting up shared service centers. So we started just recruiting locally for the, for the Czech market. So I did that for, you know, that business was uh, almost six years we, we ran that, which was, uh, you know, how I transitioned into being more location independent because that was very much a brick and mortar business, you know, of an office. And, and I didn't like it at all. Right. Okay. Well, we are going to get into that. I'm just curious a little bit about the choice to be an expat because I know, there are a lot of opportunities, right? Especially when you're thinking entrepreneurially. Preneurially. It's always a hard word for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, you can go anywhere, especially if you're looking at it through the lens of location independence. Uh, or if you're even bricks and mortar, like you said, you're like, hey, let's go see if these, you know, if Czech people want to want to work in England, we're going to set up shop here. But there's still the choice to live out of your home country. Like, when did that become a thing for you? When did you realize that you don't really want to live where you were born? It was, I was always like that, I think. I was all, I remember I had a map of the wall as a kid and I'd always put pins in the places we'd been, which wasn't very many. It was like Spain you know, every year. But um, I, I just always was into travel. I was always fascinated by maps and, and, and I still am, you know, I still, I love, I've got right behind me, I've got a huge map of the world on, on the wall, like six meters long, five meters up. I did after university, well, every universe, every summer at university, I worked abroad. I worked in France one summer. I worked in Israel. Uh, I worked in America. And then as soon as I finished university, I went for like, you know, the year out, backpacking year out that a lot of um, a lot of British people do and Americans do. Yeah. And I did, and it did around the world, you know, Asia, three months in Asia, work in Australia, and then a bit of Pacific and, and, and US on the way back. So that that was what, you know, got, got me into that. And then I, I finished this and went to London. And I was just missing it, you know, I really wanted to get to get back. And I just, because if you're English, you know, all the work is in London. That's where you kind of end up going. And, and London's a cool city, but... I just, I just wanted more, you know, I wanted to get out. So uh, as soon as I was back, I was, I was planning immediately and it took me three years to do it. And, hmm. and I've been moving around since then, you know, why do you think it took three years? I got, I got a good job and I was, I was still in the kind of mindset of, you know, I should get my career, get established, you know what I mean? Uh, get a, get a bit of a, something on my CV, my resume. I was still thinking like that. I still, I hadn't done anything entrepreneurial at this stage and I didn't know if I was ever going to be an entrepreneur or, or stay as an employee. So I was, I, I was focusing, but, uh, I was kind of counting the days, you know, and, and when I got an opportunity to go to Prague, that was kind of just the, the reason to jump. You know? What a great I mean, stepping stone because you still had the security of the employment, but you're now getting to get a, go abroad, which is something you loved. Exactly. Exactly. I just want to stay on the gap year or, what, or whatever, I forget what term you used, but how did that change you as a person? I mean, uh, certainly it sounds like that opened your eyes, actually maybe even blew your mind a little bit to, to the possibilities of traveling. It certainly had a similar impact on me just traveling around and starting to meet people. And you're like, wow, this person's living here. They're doing this. And you just start having these conversations with other travelers and you realize wow, this is, there's a whole world out there. <laughs> yeah, the gap year was, was the thing. I mean, that was the, the, the thing, really. I mean, I traveled, like I mentioned, I traveled in the summer, but, you know, Israel, America. But when I did my, my gap year year out, the first country we went to was India. And India is just like, I'd never been to Asia, you know, and it was just an assault on the senses. It was just like, 
wow, you know, this is really a different, a different country, you know. And that just spending a month in India and, and Nepal, uh, we were in Kathmandu, which is still one of my favorite places. Um, it just opened my eyes. I was like, wow, there's really like completely different places to live, you know, culturally and just, just day to day life is so different here. And that, that, it was, it was really starting off in India that made me, you know, really love the, the idea of, of traveling around. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think what you said about coming back, even from a year traveling and still having that mindset of why I probably should be doing, I can certainly relate to that having done contract work and like very like similar to you traveling around in between. But then at some point having those questions where it's okay, but I probably should be building a quote real career, exactly real job. (laughs) Even after I'd had all these experiences, that is the magnetic power, if you will, of what do we call it? Societal pressures or just sort of norms where most people are kind of living those traditional lives. And meanwhile, you got travel on the brain and you've had all these sort of experiences traveling around and living around. I mean, I guess the job was the means to get you overseas again, but was there any more mindset stuff going on in that period? I'm just picking on this period a little bit more because I know this is something a lot of people go through. You know, it, see, back then it's interesting because you know I, I finished university in, in the mid nineties, uh, and and it was a different time in the sense that amazing as it is to believe there was there was no internet, it wasn't widely available. There was internet cafes starting to come up, you know, but it wasn't like the, there was no concept of working online. I mean, you know, the whole digital nomad location independent business that that just didn't exist. So it was literally you could travel to a company and, and get a job was was kind of the mindset I had. You know, I didn't this the, it hadn't even occurred to me that you could just run a business from anywhere at this point. You know, it was literally where's where's a job or where's the contract. So that was kind of my mindset is like, I've got to, you know, this is great. I've I'll get myself a marketable skill with SAP. And kind of when I left, I really, I was already getting out of, uh, like I said, the first three years, I really wanted to focus on my resume. But then I was like, if I can learn this skill SAP, I can work anywhere. I can take contracts, you know, and there was a big contract market. And that was, that was kind of as far as I'd thought in terms of the contracting and living in different countries. I thought, this is great. I can live all over. There's any kind of you know, not just developed countries, but developing countries, you know, if there's a big city, there's often SAP work. And I was just thinking like that, you know, this is, you know, how I can do it. Yeah, it's amazing how just one term or one philosophy or whatever you want to call location independence in in this example, or for me too, when I heard that term and and read the four hour work week, it was the light bulbs of possibilities just started going off like gangbusters. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I still remember, I still remember I was, I was playing touch rugby in Prague and someone told me about the book and I, I went straight to Amazon and ordered it. Like as soon as I got back eight o'clock at night, I was like, this book, he, he just told me about this guy who outsourced his life. And I was like, oh, I just like, I, I was, I was like checking the post for the book to come. You know, I was so excited when I heard about it, like, <laughs> like nothing else. And after that, is that when you started looking at your future businesses through the lens of location independence? Definitely. I mean, I had, like I told, I said, I had this recruitment agency then, which was a real brick and mortar business. Um, I think, you know, the, when I read it, the one thing that I'd already got is, is the location arbitrage thing. I'd got that already from being a, you know, SAP consultant. I could work anywhere and, and, and earn dollars or, or pounds, you know, but everything else, I mean, the outsourcing, uh, was, was a huge thing. I'm mean, still to this day, I've, I've got a, a team I've been growing in the Philippines for seven years now. Um, and, and just, just the, the so many things. I, you, who, where to start with with the four hour work week, you know? But but the, the mentality it just instilled in me is just 
you know, the whole concept of the new rich and, and, you know, if you just work out what your target monthly income needs to be, you don't have to have $10 million in the bank. You know, you can have the life because when people like, like he talks about, when people think of a billionaire, you know, the lifestyle of a billionaire, the thing they really want is the cool experiences they have. They don't want the, the crushing 13 hour days and the stress from managing a global corporation like most billionaires have, you know, and you can get that on, on, on a lot less money than a billion dollars, you know? So that, that was the real thing from the book that, that hit me. As a traveler, somebody who had been moving around when you started your first business, did you have any reservations around that being something that's going to limit your travels and maybe I shouldn't do this because this is going to, well, this kind of ties into to the lifestyle yeah. question, right? Like how, it, how important is the lifestyle component when you're weighing a new venture? It's a great, it's a great question. And, and I didn't, and it was a really, it was a stupid idea not to think about it because I, I was just like, I'm going to start a business. It'll be great. And, I, and I'll kind of, I somehow thought I'd magically be doing all the same things traveling. And like, you know, I was stuck in the office for, for, you know, a while and I hated it. And, and now I always tell people like, you know, imagine if you want to do something, try to visualize what is your day going to look like if you do this thing, you know? And it wasn't like I, I was desperate to get out. I mean, this business was, I mean, it was a great experience to start a real business with, you know, a lot of employees, you know, a real world hustles of a business, but you know, it wasn't what I wanted and I didn't think about it at all. And it, and it was a mistake not to think about it. Definitely. Now you're thinking more the lifestyle first and building around that. And I wanted to get your advice around business opportunities versus say you have a list of ideas. People are always coming up with ideas and I have, uh, if you want to share maybe at the end of the interview, if you can think about what, like the most ridiculous idea you ever had that you, you never did. These are always fun to hear, uh, but yeah. uh, <laughs> dig into the Evernote and find one. Um, you know, but this whole concept of, okay, well, you know, you need to have a market, you need to have a product to sell, there needs to be a need for it and, and all that. I mean, that's what business is. But then the, you have ideas that you're more passionate and excited about that are good opportunities. And then some that you could look at a list of ideas and just say, hey, well, they're, they're a really good opportunity, but I'm not that excited about it. In your experience, how do you choose ideas and what is that, what is that process like for you? I don't think it's as important as a lot of people think to be really super passionate about an idea. You know, I think like, for example, I mean, we're jumping forward, but the, event, the business I run now, Apps Events, you know, we run 300 plus events with Google around the world. But I just did one event and, and I, I did that event for a completely different reason to promote some software I, I was selling. And I would never would have thought I'd enjoy running an events business, you know, but I do. Like, I think at a certain point, it's, it's the act of running a business that I think I enjoy. You know, it, it can be, I think I've done software businesses, I've done real world businesses. I think I, I, I really... I don't think it's as important to, to really decide an idea you, you feel passionate about. I know a lot of people disagree with me. I think, you, you you know, you should really think about what I said from my previous business, like what is it, what is your day going to look like? That's really important. I think, you know, is, is this, if you want to travel, then you don't want to do a job where you've got to be in the office, you know, five days a week. So that's what I think the idea. I don't know. You know, I've grown to love ideas that I didn't like in the beginning. So I, I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe a lot of your listeners will disagree about that one. I'm, <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I think it's personality driven a lot of it, right? Like for me, I hear what you're saying because I think you do have to enjoy running and growing a business. And there's that element of it where if you get into it and you don't enjoy it, you're probably not going to, make it in business because you have to enjoy the tinkering and the sort of meta thinking that's involved with growing a business and strategy and all the stuff you need to do as an entrepreneur to figure that stuff out. So 
in that sense, I think business is the, is a bit of like art in it as well. And that part of it I love. But I know for me personally, if I'm working on something that I'm not passionate about, I'm I'm not going to be able to get up every day and do it because it's just going to be too hard for me to find the motivation. And I'm going to be thinking about the other ideas that seem more fun and exciting. But that's just me. Like That's not how everybody is. So I appreciate that you're sharing that because I'm sure that there are people that are listening that are not in their head in agreement with you. Like, yeah, Dan gets it. And there's probably people listening to me like, yeah, that's... I'm that way, and that's what makes the world a beautiful place, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But but I think yeah, it's, but I think it's not. It's often not until you try a business that you realize if, if you really like it or not. Like I, I've done a few different things, and I, and I'm like you mentioned at the beginning, I'm doing a, I'm doing a SaaS, a SaaS like software as a service company now, and this is the second one. I did another one a few years ago, which which we sold, and I realized from doing the first one that I really liked running a SaaS business. And now I'm trying to get into into it again, you know, running a software company. So when you get it stuck in the middle of a business, I think you figure out if you really like it. You know, I think up front. It's tough to know. Just in my opinion, again, you know, like you know, people will disagree with me, but I think in, you don't know what a business is really like until you start running it, I think. Totally. And the the business you were referring to that you're working on now is eventsframe.com, correct? It's yeah, a ticketing exactly. business? Yeah, exactly. Similar to Eventsframe, but we've got flat flat pricing. So yeah, exactly. That's that's the business uh, we started end of last year. And, and, and it's it's small, but but it's got a huge growth rate, which is which is fantastic. Okay, so I was going to transition to the event business stuff yeah, because sure. I'm really excited about that. Do but that. I do have a couple questions on the SAAS stuff first, and I might even circle back to some of them. But I'm curious because you've sold a couple businesses, and one of my bucket list items is to build and sell some business. Do you build businesses with the intention of selling them, or is it something now that you've sold a couple, now you can now you understand what's involved, so you can take that approach from the beginning? No, I, I don't. The two businesses I was running now, I didn't start with the intention of selling it. But I, having said that, the the SaaS business, Events Frame, I decided pretty quickly that that's a business I think we can sell. Like I, I know, you know, certain businesses are easier to sell and, and, a, and a software as a service business is, is one of the easiest because there's a lot of people, there's a lot of buyers and it's, it's recurring revenue, you know? Whereas my events business, I started out and I could sell that. People do sell events businesses, but it's quite rare. It's a lot of moving parts. There's no real recurring revenue. I mean, every event makes money. Then you start again running the event. You know, I mean, it's an annual event, but it's not guaranteed recurring. So with the software company, yeah, we decided pretty quickly. I'm already thinking I would like to sell that. And and here's the thing. What I think, I think a great way to build a business is even if you're never going to sell the business. You should plan like you are because the things that will make a business sellable are the things which will make a business run automatically, you know, because having a business that people want to buy is all about having a business that you're not daily the person running it. They can, you know, someone doesn't want to buy the business and know they've got to keep you around to make the business function, you know. So um, I definitely, the so I'd like to sell the software company, definitely, eventually. But maybe we never will. And, if, and, and you know, if it generates enough income, uh, to have a great income, then I, I won't need to, you know? I mean, right now it's generating a, a pretty good side income. Uh, but but I, I think we could sell it in, I think within two years, we could, we could sell this business. Well, it's such a great point just building in that way because we're talking about location independence and travel and having freedom. And like you said, it, you know, the automation and the systems is this unsexy sounding stuff that nobody really wants to talk about. Uh, but... That's the stuff that gives you the time to actually go out 
and see sites and meet locals and have adventures and go off the grid for some weeks while everything's still working. <laughs> it's really, yeah, exactly right. I mean, it's, it's like working working on the business instead of working in the business. I'm not sure. I got that from some book. Maybe work the system, I think. It was, uh, <laughs> but uh, that's the key, you know, and it's hard because if you've got, you know, you always want to do the urgent tasks and urgent tasks kind of operational and you put off the things of like, okay, let me get, and uh, let me get an outsourced person to run this process. Let me outsource this to a company, you know. Let me pursue, you know, write an SOP. And if you and the more you put that off, the more you end up just working and not and not doing it. It's a it's a tough balance. Okay. Well, you've scaled your events business to th- you're doing three hundred events around the world. So we're gonna get into that. But what is your advice around building systems and automation so we have more free time to travel or whatever it is you want to do? And and let's start specifically with the per- there are a lot of people in the situation, and I'm sure you've been there yourself, because I think as entrepreneurs, we all have, where you're growing a business, maybe you're not killing it yet, but you're feeling overwhelmed, you got too much stuff going on, so you know you need to hire some people, but it's a bit scary because if you're going to hire people, you're probably going to spend whatever little money you're making, or maybe you're making no money and you're actually going to be losing money. And there's that that balance there. What's your advice? Yeah, it's interesting. I think it depends how much money you've got, honestly. Like, I think uh, if you're really starting, you know, you're really bootstrapping, you know, maybe you haven't got much money, then I think you've just got to do it yourself. And and you've got to pay for the person, your first hire out of out of your profits, you know. I think, you know, when I started the latest company, I had, you know, a bit more of a financial cushion. So I could get someone, like, for example, on support, like, you know, someone in the Philippines on support from day one and lose and lose the, you know, X hundred or thousand dollars a month. You know, I think if you haven't got the money, you've just got to do it yourself, but, but hire quickly. Like, you know, you know, if you get to, if you get to a thousand dollars a month, then earmark 500 of that to pay, to pay someone part-time or whatever to, to, to run the process. I think, you know, it, it depends on your stage. I think if you're, if you really haven't got much money, you, you at early stage, you just got to do it yourself and you should do it yourself anyway, you know, because if you hand over a process to someone that you haven't optimized, then it's never going to work well, unless you recruit a really high caliber person, but you can't rely you're going to do that. When you're looking at systems and automations for your own business, do you have any actionable exercises you do or what is your process in in terms of thinking about it and implementing? It's all about SOPs, you know, standard operating procedures, just making an SOP for every process in the Google Doc. And every time you change the process or you think of an improvement, you update the doc, you know, and then you've just got something to refer to. Like we've got SOPs for most of our process in, in my businesses. So I, th- I think that's that's kind of a way I, f- I found to to really work on it. And because when you've got a doc, you keep going back to it. You think, oh, yeah, we could do this. We could do this. If it's not written down, it's just tough to keep it on your head. Do you have your team write those the, the people that are doing it or do you write them yourself or how, how do you do that now i've got a bigger team so people write them but I, I used to do it for a long time i'd write them all and then hand them over and check them regularly to be honest i don't check them enough now i almost never even check them anymore but yeah. I, I probably should do that, to be honest. <laughs> well i mean that's a good thing because that means you're out of the business which is the goal i love that i don't know about certain things that are going on even though it's can be a little scary, but in the beginning, but then once you get there, it's like, oh, this is sweet. I don't need to know they're taking care of it. <laughs> okay, so events. I feel like this is an overlooked and very viable location-independent business model, and I feel like it's overlooked because a lot of people 
when I think about being a digital nomad or being location dependent, you're thinking, you know, websites and blogs and e-commerce stores and all this type of stuff. You're not thinking about in-person things like seminars and workshops and conferences. And actually, Dan, like old school, right? I don't know if it's old school now, if it's just life, but I like to hang out with people in person. I mean, I so wish we were having this conversation in person. If I didn't have two kids, I probably would have flown down just for the weekend, just to, to meet you and do this in person. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, I um, think it's, it's yeah. even more so now because of increasing the online world. Everyone wants to meet more. That's why there's an increase of a number of events because people want to meet because they're behind their computer by themselves all day, you know? Right. So do you think there's a lot of opportunity in the event space to find a niche and to earn a location-independent living? I do. I think it's a great... I think it, what you said is 100% spot on. It's a great opportunity as a location independent business i mean you know i'm in a group called the dynamite circle and i was i remember i was at a meeting uh it's on you know location independent kind of business community and and someone was saying why are you in this community like you, you run an events business and i'm like number one any any business can be location independent if you don't need to be there like you can have a factory and an office with 100 people but if it's running without you it's a location independent business number one um and number two like an event you know you only need to come together the day before the event to run the event. And, and, and when you grow the team, you don't even need to go. I don't go to most, most of my events. But your team can be anywhere. You know, we have regional, regional managers for each, each region of the world. We have a support team in the Philippines. Um, it's, a, it's a great business. But like you say, people want to do kind of a, quote, sexy things they've heard of. They want to have an Amazon FBA business. They want to do a software as a service business. They want to, you know, design and sell a product online. They don't think of this as a location dependent business, but it, it, it's a great one. And it's a, it's a, I would say to anyone, it's a great opportunity to run a business. It, it's, it's hard work to start it and it's not an easy, easy way to start a business, but no. you can definitely make good money. <laughs> we just did a meetup. We have a community location indie for, with location dependent entrepreneurs as well. And we did a meetup in Denver. We're doing one in Mexico and just getting the opportunity to bring everybody together and share the space. So we're like, we're all communicating online, but then we come together in person and the exchange of ideas and the energy and getting to do, you know, have travel experiences together and all that stuff. I mean, that's, that is the stuff that life is really all about. So it must be satisfying to put on an event and sit back. I, I mean, at least that's been my experience. It's just like, wow, look at this. You just kind of take a moment. You ever do that at one of your events and kind of just look around the room and be like, holy crap, these people are just having a good time. This is awesome. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. You know, yeah, it's a roller coaster of emotions, especially when you start running events. It's like complete dread and fear beforehand and stress, like tra- chasing people to come, checking everything's going to work. And then running the event is it's just crazy, you know? And then you'll probably have a, a brief moment of, like you said, euphoria close to the end. And then you're just complete tiredness afterwards. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a roller coaster. Of it. But you're right. Like sometimes you look around the room, I've, I've done events, with you know 300 people there and you're like wow I, I got 300 people to come to this country you know that's great well i'm gonna pick your brain a little bit now because we're gonna try to take the fear of running events out and just to go back to what you said about you know thinking this is a viable location dependent business i mean the other thing i love about it is this is something you really can i think take something you're passionate about or excited about especially for your first event right if you're really into knitting and you think it would be great to get a bunch of people that are into knitting with you together and you guys could do a whole bunch of stuff together over the weekend. You know, you can you can create an event and do that. And the fact that you're doing this at such a massive scale as a location-dependent business, I mean, that was one of the biggest reasons I wanted to talk to you. Obviously, I wanted to get to know you and hear your story and stuff, but like also just to get a chance to pick your brain because this is so exciting 
to me because I, outside of big experiential marketing agencies I've worked with and things like that, it's hard for me as somebody who's produced events and knowing everything that goes involved, that is involved to conceptualize being able to do 300 events around the world. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, what you said is really, really a, a really insightful point. Like having a super focused niche is, is the way to run events nowadays. That is the thing. Having something you're really passionate about. I was chatting to this guy uh, last week, really interesting guy uh, called Jeff Berwick. He has a podcast called Anarchist and he's an anarchist. And he runs an event in Acapulco called Anarchapulco. And he's grown this event. And he's really, he's really into this. He's a hardcore anarchist. He's a you know, really funny guy, really interesting guy. Um, and he's grown this event in three years, I think it is, third year or fourth year. He's got, he had 50 people the first year. He's got 4,000 people this year. And he makes a lot of money off it. You know, it's a, it's a huge event. He's, he's booking out a whole hotel. But it's a super focused niche. It's not even anarchism. It's a specific, you know, his kind of anarchism, which is kind of anarcho-capitalism, you know, like, sort of hardcore libertarians. It's fascinating to speak to the guy, but you know, he really niched down and no one was running that and he's got a huge event from it. Wow. Okay. So just to give people an idea of the types of events you run, and I think it's always best to illustrate these things through a little bit of a, say a story. So I mean, just, just to give people like a one minute version of the type of person that's coming to your event and what they're learning. Yeah, we're, our events are focused on schools. The attendees are teachers or people who work for schools. And it's all about using Google tools in the school. So we're an official Google partner, Google for Education partner. Uh, everyone knows, obviously, Google, but there's, you know, obviously, you know, G Suite, you know, Google Drive, Docs, email. Google have a tool called Google Classroom, but obviously you've, you've got everything. You know, you've got YouTube for education. Uh, you've got Android, developing Android apps, anything relating to Google. Uh, and even a bit broader than that. So, so that's what we run. And we run conferences and we run certification courses because Google has a bunch of certifications for teachers, certified educator, et cetera. So we run courses to get teachers certified. Got it. Okay. And I know it's going to be very hard to distill down your entire event production process in uh, <laughs> this little bit of time, but... No, not really. I can uh, Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> if you could, because I think, you know, anybody listening to this that's into earning a location-dependent living, and, and like we said, do, maybe even around doing something that you really enjoy or teaching something that you love to geek out on, but you never thought, well, I didn't know there'd be all these people willing to come out and like learn about spreadsheets, you know, yeah. <laughs> for example. No. Now that you've run so many events and you have all this knowledge, I'm sure you didn't do this the first time around, <laughs> but... No, I did it myself completely. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, what would be your advice or your process or just give us an overview of, of how that looks? I think it's, it is pretty difficult to make money on events, at least at, at first, until you sort of establish a brand, but not necessarily impossible either. So I'd love, we'd love to learn a little bit from you here. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, you've got to divide it into two distinct parts, really. You, you've got to, you know, promote the event and you've got to have the logistics of, of running the event, you know? So, I mean, before you even get that farther, you've got to figure out what is there demand? You've got to speak to people. You've got to find, is there demand for this kind of event, you know? And you've got to just talk to people. That's the only way to do that. And then you've also got to figure out the date because it's, it's, a, it's a minefield. You know, you can have the best event in the world, but if you get the wrong date and you get the wrong location, you won't get anyone there. So you've really got to think about location. You've got to think about a date and you've got to think about your niche. And then the final thing you've got to think about before you even start is, do you have an audience? Like, like you've got a great audience with your podcast and your group and everything. You know, you can start running an event and you've already got a ready-made audience of, of a certain size. If you don't have that, you can still run an event. I didn't have an audience in the beginning, but you're going to have to work twice as hard. So, so these are all the things you've got to think of before you even start. You know, what am I going to do? Where am I going to do it? You know, 
um, and do I have an audience? And then it's just a case of once you've, and, and that's just a case of asking people, you know, would you come to an event in Prague about, um, digital nomadism in December, or would you come in November or would you prefer to go to Budapest? Once you figure that out, then you just got to find a venue and start promoting it. And promotion is, is the key. That's number one. You know, you've got to have a team who can promote it online. Um, and, and, and that's really the, the biggest part of running an event is the promotion, I would say. Okay, let's go back to location and yep. dates. What are some of the mistakes to avoid? I hate to say it depends, but it depends. It depends on the type of person you're working with. You know, sometimes if you're doing an event for, say, full-time employees, it's better to do it on a weekend. If you're doing one for entrepreneurs, they'd probably rather come join the week and have a weekend's free. So, you know, you've got to look at your audience and really think, when would they like to do an event? Are these people who typically go to conferences um, who's paying for it? You know, that's really important. Like our events, mostly the schools pay for the teachers. Is this an event where someone's company is going to pay? Cause that goes and you market it differently because they've got to show a website to their boss to get, to get it approved, you know? So you've really got to think you've got, and you've got to speak like the key, the key takeaway here is market research It's talking to potential people and asking them all these questions. Would you come to this event? You know, would your boss approve it? Would you pay yourself? When would you, would you like to come in the summer? Summers are usually out people who've got kids, but people who don't have kids, summer's the best time ever, you know, because they've, you know, they, it's summer holidays. They want to get away somewhere. But once you've got a family, it's, it's, it's hard to travel in the summer. Uh, so, you know, market research is the key. You've just got to talk to people you want, who would want to come to your, your event. You do that by just picking up the phone and talking yeah. to whoever, you know, yeah. that's would be your potential customer. Yeah. Obviously if you know someone, that's, that's the best way to start and get them to give you, give you names. It's always, you know, it's always better if you have an introduction to someone. So if you say so-and-so gave me your name and then call the next person, that's how I would do it. Um, if you've got an audience, like you've got an audience, I would just on your newsletter, ask people, what can you, you know, Google form with some options. Would you rather come to an event in, you know, Mexico, Colombia, da, 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 this, this date, this date, this date, and do a poll. If you've got an audience, you, you can just poll people straight away, you know, use a Google form. Makes sense. Have you had more success with selling tickets to people that work at a company? Like you mentioned, well, they're there. That's a different marketing style because they have to get an approval from their boss. Whereas a consumer or an individual is just going to decide for themselves if they want to go to an event. Have you seen more success in one or the other? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the key thing with conferences generally, if you're talking about conferences is people, it's people, it's got to be fun. You've got to let the website know you've got to show people on the website. It's going to be a fun event, you know? So I always emphasize, we always do a, a networking party with free drinks, any event I run anywhere. Um, but you know, if it's somewhere where someone's company's paying, you don't want to put too many kind of party pictures on the homepage, you know, because, because the boss has got to approve it, but it's still got to be there. It's always got to be there. I mean, people aren't, people go to conferences, number one, to visit a new place and just to hang out and meet people, you know, and have a fun time. That's the reason they go. Uh, the learning is in my experience, it's, it's generally secondary, but I think, yeah, if, if it's a corporate event, you've got to tone it down a little bit, but you've still got to let people know it's going to be fun. When you're trying to get the word out, do you have any specific outreach strategies that have really worked for you guys outside of getting some introductions or picking up the phone and talking to some people you already know, you know, using sort of the 80, 20, are there any really big things you're like, wow, this is, this is really a great strategy. This is going into our SOP. This is really going to help us, uh, get future attendees. You know, we've done, uh, we've had a newsletter for a long time, like specifically with apps events and the Google events. We've had a newsletter for a long time, which is, we've got like 30,000 subscribers. So we built that up and that's, that's been a good event. Social media marketing, you know, lots of, 
you know, really active accounts on Twitter. Twitter and Facebook are the two main things for us, although we do a little bit on, on Instagram and LinkedIn and stuff. Um, we promote, I mean, opportunities for co-promotion is huge. I mean, we run events together with schools, so we get the school to promote it as well to their net. They have networks as well. So any option, any option you have is, is, is co-promotion. And then finally, I'm just getting started with podcasting, which is you're ahead of the game on this, but I think podcasting, that's a long-term, you know, it's a long-term project. You're not going to get people to come to your conference in two months from a podcast, but two, three years down the line, you can get people to come to your conference from a podcast. What's the name of your podcast? It's called The Events Podcast, and it's just about running events. It's all for people who want to run events. Awesome. So you can get more information there as we're going to keep trying to uncover more here in this chat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What are some of the unexpected costs and or mistakes to avoid? Because I find, especially with events... And this is why I think it's a little bit scary. And, and, and in a good way, I guess, we talk going back to the potential to put on events and, and earn a location-dependent income. But I think one of the reasons for that is oftentimes venues can charge you up front to rent a space. And not everybody has the ability to do that. And that's not the case every time. But usually there can be upfront costs before you even sell the tickets. And so therefore, <laughs> I think that opens up the event space a bit because not everybody's willing to do that, of course. Yeah, definitely. And that's the most important thing you've got to mitigate your risk on is, is it, well, two costs, the event, the cost of the event space and the cost of speakers. But I would say any, do anything you can do the first year you run an event, anything you can do to run a free event or a low cost event. You know, a lot of people, there's a lot of good deals out there. It's harder in the US where people want money, but in other countries you can do barter deals. You know, you can run an event at a school, at a co-working space, at a church hall, at a friend's office they're not using on the weekend. Like there's, if you get, if you get creative, there's a lot of free or very cheap places you can run events. And I always say to people, like don't commit to running to booking a, a Vegas hotel until you're really sure you're going to get 200 people because you're going to have to put like a third of the money down as a deposit, you know? So really it's a good point you brought up, but I, do everything you can to avoid paying for, an, for a venue until you're established, I would say. That's great advice. And I think the co-working space is a great example of, you know, you can go to a co-working space. And I mean, I've done this actually a couple of weeks ago in Oslo because I want to put on a just a short workshop that's going to be free on podcasting and it's just providing value to the community there. Right. So it's like, they were really excited about it. They're not like, Oh, well, you know, this is how much it costs to rent. It's like, no, I'm contributing to the community that matters to me too. So I think there's a lot in terms of, is, is that kind of one of the things that you guys do say, Hey, like yeah. we're just trying to provide value here. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. That, that exactly what you said. I mean, and, and to be honest, I wish I'd known about your event because I've never been to Oslo and I would be like, and I'm getting into podcasting. So I would have come to that event. Like I would have, cause I, you know, I'm always looking for excuses to go places I want to go. And, and if I'd seen that event, I'd have been like, yeah, I would have gone, you know, I need to join your list. For nice. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't, I haven't actually locked it in yet. I just talked to them about it, but. Okay, um, cool. Well, I, I was a good chance. I will come in. Yeah, cool. Yeah. I mean, I was just using that as an example of kind of like, like you said, if you can avoid paying for a venue, it might sound outrageous. Well, everybody charges, but not necessarily if you're thinking about, okay, how no. can I provide value to these people? And is this something yeah, that's going to help exactly. their community? Um, you can and, give them free places. You know, you can say to the co-working space, look, you know, you can have 10 free places. You know, we, also, we're going to co-promote that it's at your co-working space. I know plenty. Of, I mean, I, I've, got, I've got free co-working spaces to use. It's hard, you know, and you've got to be a good negotiator. But at, at the very least... Even if you pay for it, it's going to be way cheaper than a hotel. Absolutely. Okay, so it's one thing to put on one event 
and then scaling to 300 events <laughs> around the world. Uh, I don't really understand how you do this. So I just need to know, how do you do this? <laughs> I, I can give you a quick answer. It's okay. quite simple. <laughs> so, and, it, and it, it took a while to get to this point, but how it runs is like this. We have a regional manager for every region. So there's one a lady in the US. We have two people in the UK, uh, one uh, in Prague who runs mainland Europe, uh, a guy in Thailand who runs Middle East and Asia, Middle East and Asia, and we have someone in Peru who runs Latin America. So ev- everywhere apart from Africa, really, because we only do a few events in Africa. So each of these people run it kind of like, it's, it's a part of a business, but it's kind of like, you know, their own fiefdom, you know, they get a profit share. So they they run it, you know, very much, and I, I get involved, but they go to most of the events, they deal with the speakers, uh, they deal with the, you know, all, all, all the logistics. And, and then we have a team in the Philippines, uh, who do everything central. So when you run an event, you're going to get, if you, especially a big event, you're going to get loads and loads of inquiries from attendees. You know, So this team in the Philippines, they deal with, number one, all the all the backwards and forwards of attendees, questions, problems with payment, problems with you know, anything. And they also do all the promotions. So they do all the, all the social media promotion, online promotion, updating the websites, all that kind of stuff. So, so, so we have kind of one person for every region who runs the whole company, basically. And then a central team in the Philippines who runs all the back-end process. And I'm sure the the various SOPs and documents that you have stored away over the years has certainly helped onboard these various regions. When you're producing an event in terms of costs, I think one of the most challenging things, especially when you're just starting out and you haven't done it before, and again, people listening to this, this could be, hey, I want to take you know a group of people to hike the Inca trail. I mean, you can consider that almost the same type of thing where you're looking, okay, what are the costs? Yeah. So putting together a budget, any advice around that, whether it's, you know, just calling around and getting quotes or, you know, once you lock in the day, I mean, anything you have at all to share with budgeting. And then I'm just curious what types of margins, I know people hate two part questions. I hate asking them, but just so you get, get, you know, where I'm going, I'm looking at margins too, like what people should expect to make out of them. And I know this, this is very general because it depends on how well you run your business, but just trying to get an idea. Sure. Well, on the budgeting part of it, I would say just be super pessimistic. Oh, you know, whatever projections you do, assume the costs are going to be twice as much and assume the revenue will be half as much. You know, that's kind of a good place to start, I think, with budgeting. Because, I mean, the key with events is not to lose money, you know? Right. Like, now, Yay. I mean, <laughs> yeah, no, and it really is because, like, it's because you talk about, pro- and the second part of the question, profit margin, well, it's really hard to say because if you just run one event, you know, you've got to just make sure you don't lose money. So I always, you know, keep your event, keep your venue costs low, like we talked about, but also keep your speaker costs low. Try to get people to speak for free if it's your first event or just pay some basic expenses, you know, because if you can keep these costs low, then you've got a good chance of, of making money. And, and to answer your question, profit margin, honestly, I, I don't know. I should know. I mean, you know, we have a big business. It's, it's more than a million dollars in, in revenue. Um, profit margin, like, if you run a lot of events, then you know you start to get an average because we have plenty of events that don't make any money, like a lot. But we have also events that make a very good profit, you know, sort of good good five figure uh, profit, you know, on on an event. So it's when you just run one event, it's really hard to know, you know. But 
you, once you've done it once, you're going to have an idea. You know, you're going to say, well, we should be able to get more people next year. So hopefully it could grow by 10% or, you know, maybe it'll be the same, but until you've done it, you, you honestly don't know, but it, but it's pretty easy maths. You know, if you, if you're selling a ticket for $500 and you have a hundred people, that's, you know, um, 50,000 in, in revenue, you know? So then, you know, you typically, I would say we, we wouldn't really spend more than $10,000 on an event. So, you know, that's, uh, that's kind of our basic cost to run a, to run a Google conference is kind of $10,000. So as long as we make 10,000 in income, then we're, we're, we're broke even. Got it. And you're taking the long-term view. So you're, you're saying, uh, if we're thinking about from a branding perspective and, you know, everything associated with the event, if you want to do it multiple times, the idea being you're going to bring back more and more people. You're, are you keeping the same name for the event and trying to grow a community around the event? Or how do you... Yes. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Keep, keep, exactly what you said. Keeping the same name, tr- trying to grow it. Um, yeah, just, just that. Okay. As far as the event experience, because that is the event, right? It's the all about the experience that you create for people, which to me is one of the most... is is the most satisfying part of it. You know, when you get everybody together and you're like, oh, look, this, this, you know, we're having all these people belly dancing now and they're doing it and they're having fun and they're laughing and this is, this is going over well. You know, just any advice on the experience you mentioned doing like a drink night the first night? I mean, are there things that you've seen that have really worked well to get people connected? Yeah, um, definitely. It's, it's all about the, it's the most important thing, you know? So, Definitely don't skimp on parties. You know, always, if you can put some money into the budget to, to buy people food and drinks, it's always money well spent. Always make sure the speakers come to the networking party. That's really important, you know, because some events I'll have a speaker's dinner. And I always think that's a big, a big mistake because the attendees want to hang out with the speakers. You know, that's part of the, part of the deal. So get your speakers to come to the event. Don't skimp on drinks. You know, a few drinks and some food makes makes an event a huge amount more, and it's usually people's favorite favorite part of the event. So, I mean, we do have sometimes we have a like a party before a two day event. We'll have a party before, during, and afterwards. But usually, you know, we'll usually do two, sometimes three. So, I would say, you know, it, it's 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 really important. It, it's the most important thing, <laughs> to be honest, is is the, is the networking. On the promotional side, is. Are most of your ticket sales coming through social media? You mentioned all the social channels and everything. You guys do Facebook advertising, like when you're trying to grow an event in a new area. How- just, just just starting, actually. We haven't done very little. We've done very little paid advertising, but uh, we are starting. But you're leveraging the schools and and yeah, some things. Yeah, like that. okay. So f- social media promotion, just just posting content. You know, we have a, a weekly newsletter which is just just content. Uh, yeah, getting the school to promote. Um, getting attendees to promote, giving them a discount code for their friends to, to, to bring as well. You know, it's it's a bit from everywhere. It's 10 here, 10 there, 50 here. You know, it's it's it's, it's all over the place for our, our promotion. And we're, we're always, you know, we haven't figured it out. You know, we're always trying new things. Right. It, it changes from time to time. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you sharing all of this. I know there's a lot going on and, and we could probably, if we really, really go deep, we're going to, be here for another five or six hours. <laughs> but I think that gives a lot of people a good overview. And just, you know, one of the big goals here is just the overall idea that, hey, location independence, maybe events shouldn't be ruled out because I think people associate that with, well, obviously it is location dependent, right? You have an event in a certain place at a certain time. That's location dependent, but just for the event, right? Just the rest the of the business exactly. can be run. Like you said, you don't even go to all of your events at this point. So uh, it's really interesting stuff. Do you want to share a little bit more about, I mean, I think we shared 
most of your links and where to find you and stuff, but there's anything else you want to leave people no, with? No, that's all. And I'd say one thing in closing is, um, obviously you can run an events business like I do, but also have a think, can you do events to leverage your existing business? Like, like you're doing, you know, you're not primarily an events company, but you're running events, you know? Uh, and so I think if you've got a community, you should be running events. Like you should be getting everyone together. If you've got any kind of community from a podcast or from your company or from whatever you do, I mean, run events, even if you don't make any money out of them, you know, it'll build your brand. It'll create, it'll create friendships. You know, I mean, genuinely I've got people I'm, I've been friends with for years now for, through running events and you, know, you can't put a price on that. Absolutely. And unfortunately the venues can put a price on it. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I wish they didn't, you know, you do it not because it's this, you know, this big business decision, but because it's just really satisfying to get people together and to meet these people in person. If you're running a community like we are, and like you mentioned me, all that stuff is, that is the best part. That's my favorite part about being involved with events is just seeing all that magic happen right in front of me and knowing, Hey, like we helped make this happen. That's, that's really gratifying. Exactly. Like, like you said it before, it's, it's, you know, every now and again, in between the stress, you'll have just a feeling of, wow, this is cool. I've got these people together. You know? <laughs> totally. Uh, you have a new son. Yes. Right. Is, uh, how yes. old is he? Uh, five months. Okay. Well, congratulations. And you guys are doing your first trip? To Taiwan next week. I'm a little bit apprehensive about it, to be honest. <laughs> but we go to Taiwan. I, when the first time I traveled with my daughter was, was back to the States when she was around four months old. I think I was more nervous than any other trip I'd ever taken. It's just funny because it's like, well, I'm just responsible for this little human. I mean, that shouldn't be so hard, right? But it's like the flight and, you know, are they going to oh, freak yeah. out? Am I going to have that crying toddler? I did. Or did, that yeah, crying baby? I, I did, you know. And that, my baby, got the other baby crying next to us. And it was, it just grew into this chorus of, of crying. But you know what? That's just the way it goes. Sorry. Sorry, people on the plane. You're going to have to deal with it. <laughs> You know, I've traveled so much and I've been on the other side of that crying baby scene so many times that it's about right. time for some payback. I think. <laughs> That's right. It's time for some payback. Well, yeah. I wish you the best of luck with that. And I hope we get to cross paths in, in person here at some point. So. And um, yeah, wish you the best of luck with everything. And thanks for taking the time to come on. Fantastic. Great to talk. Thanks, Jason. All right. Take care, Dan. There you have it. I want to thank Dan for stopping by today's show. Don't forget to check out the events podcast if you want to hear Dan's interview with me. It's over there in his feed. You can check that out. Uh, I was really excited to get to jam with him. We spent a solid hour talking about all things from events to travel to podcasting. It was awesome. So check that out. Thanks again to him. Now, we've got a couple things to cover. I wanted to share one of my favorite traits or... I guess skills that events taught me. I don't know if they taught me this skill, but working in events certainly made me realize I was capable of this. And I got a shout out here in just a moment. First, a quick thank you once again to Pimsleur for supporting today's show. P-I-M-S-L-E-U-R. Have you heard of it? It's the best way to learn a foreign language. That's why organizations like the FBI and the State Department use Pimsleur. And if you go to zerototravel.com slash easy, what you're going to find is... A special offer for Zero to Travel podcast listeners where you can get a free trial to their monthly subscription service and get all of the lessons in any language you want to learn for free for seven days. And if you like it, you can continue on with the trial. If you do that, you'll also be supporting this show. And I thank you for that. Check them out. You have nothing to lose. Zero to travel.com slash easy. Don't put off learning a foreign language any longer if it's been on your bucket list or if you're just traveling somewhere 
cool this year, you want to connect with locals, you want to learn a bit of the language, this is the way to do it. ZeroToTravel.com slash easy. Check out the Pimsleur language learning audio courses. Best way to learn a language on the go. Speaking right away. It's awesome. Check it out. Thank you to them for supporting this show. Now, my favorite characteristic or trait, I don't I keep saying characteristic trait, skill, I don't know what you want to call it. It's just one word. Something that events taught me, working events, something I had to do often, I guess. And it, it didn't teach me, but it taught me that I was capable of it. And that's improvising, like MacGyver type stuff. You know, MacGyver, it was this show from the 80s and he'd always have to get out some weird situation where everybody was about to die or something was going to explode and he'd find like a paper clip and a matchstick and a piece of paper and somehow turn it into <laughs> some crazy thing that would help him get out of that situation. I, 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 I'm, t- I'm describing it terribly, aren't I? Anyway, I think you get the picture, but improvising, and this is something you have to do when you're traveling a lot, right? You just have to improvise sometimes uh, and make things work. I'm, I, all of a sudden, as I'm kind of sharing this with you, random images are popping to my head. I'm, I'm thinking of me using uh, a t-shirt as a towel, for example, when I would go into the hostel bathroom and take a shower and forgot and forgot my towel. There you go. You got to improvise. You got to use the t-shirt, right? Um, when uh, some gloves got stolen from me and, and a hat and it was cold in Ireland, I had to improvise and I tied a bandana my, around my ears and that's what kept me warm when I was walking like seven miles down this road because I didn't have any protection from the wind because all my stuff got lost. You improvise. You got to improvise sometimes. Your zipper breaks. What do you do? You, you put a safety pin around that thing or whatever and improvise. And I cannot tell you how many times when I was working in the event industry where we had to improvise or broken down on the side of the road and got to figure out a way to get to the next city on time. Uh, some backwoods Arkansas dude tows your vehicle, your double-decker bus that you're driving, and then he won't give it back unless you give him... $800 and it's four in the morning. Hey, you got to improvise. I'm not going to share that story here. That's a, that's a whole long story. That could probably be a whole separate podcast, but you get the idea. Improvisation. And tonight we did a little improvisation actually here at my dad's. We were trying to play cornhole and it was dark. We said, we got to play some cornhole. I said, hey, do you have a halogen lamp? And next thing you know, we're running an extension cord, hanging up a halogen lamp on a palm tree in the backyard. And that's what you do. You improvise. And I've had to use improvisation many times traveling on the road because you don't have a lot of stuff with you. And events gave me the confidence to do that because there were so many times I had to improvise that I I just took that. That's what I did when I was traveling on the road. And I just took that with me. And now I feel like, hey, you can always make it work with what you got, right? Just make it work with what you got. It doesn't all have to be perfect improvisation. Everybody has that ability and it's a cool thing. Don't forget to improvise. If you don't have what you need, I don't know, find a way to make it work. What can I say? All right. I want to give a shout out to my man, Jeff Mangold. How about this for a subject header? Best podcast on the planet? Really, Jeff? Thanks. Thank you. Man, that makes me feel good. 
Thanks, Jeff said. Uh, just reaching out to let you know how inspiring and impactful the Zero to Travel podcast has been to me. My name is Jeff. I'm a recent graduate. I've always worked in an office job. In the last eight months, I'm feeling stuck like I'm in a loop, always dreaming of a different lifestyle full of experiences and culture. I found your podcast a few weeks ago and been on the binge ever since. Listening to the amazing interviews and stories from you and the guests you have on has finally given me the push to plan a three-month-long solo trip to Peru starting in May that I've been wanting to take for a while and just goes on to say thank you so much for what you're doing i'd love to hear about any tips for planning this trip and if you know any specific volunteering opportunities or organizations that work in peru i would love to hear about them as well Uh, i don't i'm sorry jeff but i appreciate the the question in the email and he finishes he signs off if not now then when Jeff, Jeff, thank you. And yeah, I haven't signed off. I used to sign off on the show quite a bit with that statement. If not now, then when? This is the perfect example of that. Jeff taking a look and feeling like he's in a loop and stuck saying to himself, if not now, then when? And saying, okay, how about now? Maybe now's the time. And getting that push to plan that three-month-long solo trip to Peru Awesome stuff. I'm always so inspired to hear from you all out there in the community and the actions that you're taking to make a life of travel happen for yourselves uh, and making those tough decisions. You know, it's one thing to be stuck in a loop and working in office jobs. Another thing to actually plan a trip and go. And and Jeff's doing it. He sent me a picture and I really appreciate the just sharing and I and the kind words. So if you have anything to share, whether it's a story, you just want to say hi, drop me a line. Give me a shout out. Let me know what's going on. Jason at zero to travel.com. And if you haven't signed up to be on the newsletter over at zero to travel.com yet, what are you waiting for? You're missing some good stuff. And we're launching a new website. We got tons of content coming out as we always do. And it's all happening off the podcast. You're missing out if you aren't signed up over there because you're missing stuff that is happening off the podcast as well. But I'm just grateful that you're here. Look, there's a lot of things going on out there, right? It's a lot of noise, a lot of websites and podcasts and videos and all sorts of stuff, but you're here. You're here. Thank you. Thank you so much. You make the show possible. It's a community-powered show, and I do it for you, and this is your show, not mine, so just get in touch and let me know if you want a special guest on. If you have anything you want to share, just get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from listeners, and Thank you so much for your time today. I'm giving you the old namaste, the the hands together, giving you a little bow. And uh, I just want to say thanks, my friend. You're awesome. You rock. And thanks for your time. I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality. 